Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Wednesday, August the 30th. And welcome to our commentary. Just a quick uh, note here. There's a great article uh, today, a great column, I should say, in today's Dallas Morning News, written by a fellow named Cole Lyle, L-Y-L-E, who, uh, from his background, he must be a national security expert. And he wrote a column about Afghanistan. You know, it was exactly two years ago this week that this terrible debacle of Afghanistan happened. It wasn't just the fact that we lost 14, you know, brave Marines there at the gate at the airport. That was terrible, of course. But the real problem is the national security damage and the insult to our reputation as a world leader, the way that uh, the Biden administration handled that withdrawal from from Afghanistan. Look, people wanted to get out, I understand, but there are far better ways of getting out than the way that that we did. I, I for one, always favored leaving 2,000, 3,000 soldiers, not in combat, but in a, in a protective uh, way, in a sense, an insurance policy, because, you know, Afghanistan, after all, is pretty important territory. You know, you've got China, you've got Pakistan, you've got India around that area, so having a few thousand troops and a few planes in Afghanistan, I think, would have served our, our national interest. But the way we got out was absolutely horrible. And this article that, as I said, is in the Dallas Morning News uh, today, Wednesday, August 30th edition, really calls for somebody to be held accountable for what happened in Afghanistan. And someone should be held accountable. Either the Secretary of Defense, obviously President Biden, made the ultimate call. But the Secretary of Defense, uh, somebody needs to be held accountable for the way we left uh, that country two years ago and the horrible damage that it's done to uh, the reputation of the United States. You just don't pack up and leave that way. You just don't. There were other ways of doing it. And this, you know, people say that this was the beginning in many ways of the end of the Biden presidency, that ever since Afghanistan, uh, he's never been able to recover. And I think that's true. He's never been able to recover because that was such a blow to his reputation. Remember, we were told he was the wise old man who understood foreign policy and all of that kind of stuff. Well, it turned out he didn't. I mean, he'd been there a long time, but that doesn't mean he picked up anything. And that's what we learned in Afghanistan. So we're still waiting. We're still waiting for somebody to be held accountable for what happened in Afghanistan. We're still waiting. We're still waiting. Hopefully, Congress can get to it uh, uh, eventually, eventually. Another quick note uh, you may have seen in the news that uh, Senator McConnell, Mitch McConnell, apparently had one of those moments again today where he froze. And it was pretty scary. This is the second time that he's been through that. He was holding a press conference and then all of a sudden he just kind of froze. And one of his uh, Senate assistants came over and and tried to take care of him. But Look, he's probably a sick man, or at least uh, maybe should consider resignation. Because when you're in that condition, maybe it's better to, you know, go home and let uh, somebody else, somebody else, uh, you know, take care of your of your place. I mean that that was not nice. What we saw on the tele on the TV today regarding Mitch uh, Mitch McConnell not not a good feeling at all to see a man uh, struggling like that. Uh, of course, he's minority leader. Uh, Mitch McConnell actually has been a pretty consequential uh, leader in the Senate. I mean, he's responsible for those three judges in the Supreme Court. He's responsible for that. 
And we got to give him a lot of credit uh, for doing that. So, Senator McConnell, I think it's time to move on. And, you know, you've had a great career. It's time to move on and let somebody else uh, step into your into your shoes. I have a post over at the American Thinker today about uh, these 5,400 emails that they've uncovered uh, where President, well, then Vice President Biden was, uh, was using uh, different names to write emails to his son. Look, I, uh, why would a man use three different emails to communicate or three different names to communicate with his son about business that has, you know, it's sort of indirectly to do with uh, the administration. Why, why would he do that? I mean, you're a public figure. Why are you connecting uh, with your son who's doing business? Why are you using a pseudonym to do that or a fake name? I don't know, but it raises a lot of questions. As I wrote in my article uh, over at the American Thinker, it's getting more and more difficult to believe that uh, Joe Biden didn't know what his son was doing. It's just getting very difficult to uh, to believe that. Just a quick note, you may have seen that uh, the situation in, in Maui, the fire in Maui, it was originally all about climate change. And now they've had to take that back because there were apparently some problems there on the ground with the electric company or whatever. Look, as I've said before, the problem with the climate change people is that they don't know how to present themselves. They're out there blocking traffic. They're out there blaming everything on climate change. But when you blame everything on climate change, I think you lose credibility. And what they should be doing is informing us about what they see as a threat named climate change. But blocking traffic, turning everything into climate change, every time there's a forest fire, immediately they say climate change. Every time there's a hurricane, immediately they say climate change. I think they're losing credibility when they do stuff like that. And they're losing people like me who are at least open-minded to the idea that there is climate change. There is climate change. Everybody knows that, or at least I do. But the question is, what are you going to do about it? And what is your solution? I mean, is destroying our manufacturing capability the answer? No. I don't want all the manufacturing to go to other countries because we're afraid of climate change. I, I don't. I think it's idiotic uh, to do that. Well, up in Canada, our Canadian neighbors, apparently the Liberal Party, by the way, the Liberal Party is looks like they're going to get killed in the next election, and they should be. I mean, um, Trudeau, Prime Minister Trudeau, I guess Justin Trudeau, his father was Pierre, Justin Trudeau, uh, has turned out to be a disaster for Canada. They're having a big problem up there with gasoline prices, inflation, and everything else. I mean, Canadians are about ready to explode. Uh, with respect to uh, Trudeau. Well, the latest little gimmick, and that's what it is, a gimmick from the Trudeau administration is that they're warning, they're sort of talking to Canadians, warning Canadians about traveling to the United States because they they think that some of our states may be anti-LGBT, PPQ, whatever, whatever it is. And of course, that's a bunch of garbage. That's a bunch of garbage. Nobody's asking you your gender orientation when you come to Texas or anywhere else. Okay. Now, if you want to come to Texas and you want to be, let's say, teaching fifth graders or fourth graders about homosexuality and other things or gender uh, transfer and all that kind of stuff, yeah, that you're going to have a problem. But just because you come here uh, and say that you're LBT, no, nothing's going to happen to you. Nothing's going to happen to you. Be able to come here 
and enjoy Texas like a lot of Canadians do. So this is, again, this is basically a, uh, a scream, sort of a last-minute scream by a liberal government falling apart and a liberal government that I believe is going to be rejected big time the next time they have an election up there because they've messed it up pretty badly up in, uh, up in Canada. Well, I've got a post uh, coming out Thursday morning talking about some stories that are coming out of the border that there may have been some terrorists or some people associated with ISIS who crossed the border. Now, look, this is not a shock. I mean, I don't know why people are so surprised. If you have an open border, then bad people are going to try to take advantage of it. I mean, that seems to be pretty logical. And here, what we have is apparently some people who've been captured there on the border who have national security threats or present a national security threat because of different associations to this group or that group. Look, I've said it again. Uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think the Biden administration needs to shut down the border and simply say no more asylum requests. We're shutting this down for six months, a year, two years, whatever. But at least shut it down for six months and say no more asylum requests. If you want to come to the United States, you got to go to your country of origin and apply to come to the United States like the millions of others have done. So they need to send that signal, at least in support of the Border Patrol, overwhelmed Border Patrol by, you know, having six million people walking to the country during the Biden administration. So they've got to shut down the border. They simply have to say no more, no more people. If you have an asylum claim, you're just going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait because we're not going to process any, anybody for a year or a couple of years until we we take control of the situation in here. Look at what's happening in New York. Now, I'll, look, I'm, I don't feel sorry for the government of New York because this is all self-inflicted. They brought this on themselves, but they're hurting their country. They're hurting their city. They're hurting their state. And all because of this crazy border policy of the Biden administration. So they got to shut down the border. That's what you got to do. Just shut it down and say no more asylums. No more. Simply, we're not going to process anybody over the next couple of years or whatever until we get caught up with the ones that we already have uh, here in the United States. Well, a quick on this day in history note, Ted Williams, the great Ted Williams baseball hitter. You know, my father used to say he was the greatest. And many men of my father's generation who got to see him in the 40s and 50s definitely agree with that. And if you look at the numbers, it's hard to disagree <laughs> with our fathers when they say that uh, that Ted Williams was the best. Uh, but, of course, he had an amazing baseball career. He also had two different times in his career when he left baseball and did military service in World War II and later in Korea. He was actually shot down. His plane was actually shot down and in Korea, but thankfully nothing happened to him. So we remember Ted Williams, the last man to hit 400 in Major League history. And it's hard to believe. I just don't see anybody even coming close to that. I mean, the amazing thing about Ted Williams is that he hit 406 in 1941, and then he hit 388 in 1958. So that's almost what, 17 years later, he came back and almost did it again. But Ted Williams, Pretty good, pretty good player, that's all I can tell you. He was born in San Diego on this day in 1918, passed away in 2002. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, and we'll talk to you later.